Welcome to the Life Oasis podcast. With us today, we have musician, singer, and songwriter Alnev. I know him as Ari Raven. So Ari, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me on here. Thanks for being here. This is my first like official, official podcast. So this is like a moment to write down and keep in my head. A little bit about me. I am 19 years old. I am a singer, songwriter, amateur pianist, amateur ukulele player, amateur guitarist. I like, yeah, I dabble in different instruments, but singer-songwriter from Florida originally, and I moved to New York about a year ago, just over a year ago. And yeah, that's me. So how did you get into the music world? Into the music world, okay. So I spent like growing up, I had a lot of writing that I was doing. Like from like first, second grade, I was already writing like poetry that I can remember. A lot of poetry, even till today I write poetry, but that's, I started with poetry. And when it came to like music, like I didn't really have a huge specific connection like to music or even like writing my own music. It wasn't a thing until probably ninth grade. Up till then it was more poetry that I loved writing. And I wrote like for class for like in elementary school and middle school, I wrote for class and I, and I loved reading it and I always enjoyed it. But the music stuff only really came in ninth grade when I was like, what, 14, 15? Yeah. So what's the difference between your writing now and your writing then? What changed? Okay. I'm definitely in a much different state now than I was back then. Way, way different. I mean, I was really young. I'm still, I still am young. I was really like, I don't know, writing for class. I was writing because it was something I had to do like for classes and I did it because I had to, but I loved it. I always loved doing it. Um, and I would write like short creative, like sh little short stories. That was a lot of fun. I actually just remembered that now. And now it's more like, I mean, it's been maybe four, five years since I started like taking writing seriously. Well, really two and a half years, but four or five years since I started like actively writing, choosing to write. And now I've, I mean, I've been writing about my feelings and my experiences and stories that I've made up, stories that are real, mixes of stories that I made up and stories that are real. So your first song is called Give Love. What was the inspiration to writing that? Give Love is my first like produced release song. So that song was inspired. Oh, that was a really funny story, actually. I was in Wilkes-Barre, which is like a Jewish school for kids who are not interested in the mainstream and interested in something more personal. And I really, I loved it. And that when I was like during davening, I wasn't really interested in davening. I wasn't into that at all. I was really like totally out of that realm of spirituality and I had no connection to it. So during davening, I would spend a lot of the time writing poetry and writing music and that was like when I would write. And like a lot of my songs start from like someone, like someone will like say something to me that will trigger feelings in me and then I'll write something. That's, it's often like someone will say something. At least like the first two songs I actually put out were about a person coming to me and saying something and then me like responding through a song. So this song was like weirdly like the most mature song I've ever written, sort of, which was like, Someone came to me and like said the most like disturbing, disgusting comment. I don't even remember what it was because it was so like, whatever. He like wanted to go around and like just spread a little message of hate. Like he clearly was having a bad day. And I was in the middle of writing. I had no clue what to write about. And he walked in and he like said something like just horribly mean. And I was like really mad. I was like, why would you say that? And I was like, oh my God, a little mature moment for myself, which is rare. Very rare that this would happen. But I was like, well, this kid honestly needs love. Like I can, I was like, this kid needs love. And I'm like, I'm not, not from like a therapist perspective, just like he really was like just trying to reach out because he needed 
he he was like that's his only way he knew how to interact with people was by like being mean and gross and rude because like that's all he knew and he just needed like someone to like show him love so i was like oh my god yeah and then i wrote the song give love today i cannot stand that song i can't stand that song today that song oh my god i mean every artist hates their first song but that's a fact every i mean it's an opinion and a fact every artist hates their first song because it, like it's your first release it's what everyone gets to know you by and then it's the one everyone's like play that one play that one like no no i don't want to play that one i want to play the ones that i am proud of and, and i love there i have a connection to that song which i'm not like i'm not over it but like i'm over it you know like i'm a little over it like like i've written a lot since i've written 80 88 songs right now in the past like five years four four years so so did you also have a similar inspiration to write cool kids oh uh, cool kids i i shouldn't like reveal too much about this because there's something by the way one thing that people forget is that songs are about other people often at least a lot of mine so like these people are alive like they if like either they know or they don't know a song's about them but these are human beings that like they could figure things out if they like if someone like says the wrong words i'm like oh by the way did you hear that song and then like huh they listen to like oh my god this was me most people don't know because most people I write about are people who hurt me and people who hurt me are not smart. That's not true. No, they're smart. They're smart, but they like, they hurt me. So that wasn't the smart move. Anyway, but Cool Kids was, I wrote, what was it? Two summers ago? Two summers ago, I wrote it. I was in Crown Heights. I came here like to work at a camp. Kind of crazy, like a little bit of a under the rug, like off the book sort of camp, like where all the kids who get kicked out of the real camps get sent to. Really interesting. I mean, I had a good time. I had a bad time and a good time, which is like most things. But I like went to this wedding one night in Crown Heights, like someone who I knew their wedding. And there was like, I don't want to get too detailed about it because I don't want to like reveal any, like I don't want to reveal too much about who it could be because it's going to start. Like if someone hears this, I don't want this to trace back to this person and like all the love in the world to this person because good for this person. They're living their life. But anyway, I went to this person who was like, one of those like kids in your school that like is a cool kid, like the hot kid, the one that everyone's like a little bit like anxious around because they know like he he's a little richer. He's a little he looks a little better. He like is a little more popular. He was one of those kids. And there were groups of kids like that, like throughout life. There's always groups of kids like that. And he was one of those kids. And we sort of had like we were never friends, but we had this like mutual understanding of like friendliness, which was totally fine. I was totally fine with like I didn't have any like desire to get specifically close with him but i was like i'm a friendly person i try to be friendly with everyone so i'm at a wedding he's at a wedding it's a guy he's at a, which if you listen to the song you'll know it's about a guy but people think it's about a girl but whatever it's not about a girl and a lot of my songs are not about girls I, i'm going off on a tangent but like a lot of my songs are about friends and family and sometimes girls not that whatever point being let's go back let's go back let's circle back okay 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 but what was I saying? Okay. So this guy, I walked up to him and I was like, yo, like, what's up? Like, how are you? Like, we hadn't seen each other in a few months. We never like interacted much, but I was like friendly. And he looks at me and I'm like, yo, how are you? Like, how's life? And he goes, calm down, dude. Dude, calm down. I was like, my, like, you don't see me right now. Anyone who's listening right now does not see me, but I, this is me. I'm going to do me with my mouth, like wide open, like in shock. Okay. Okay. That, <laughs> I just did it. Okay. I get it now. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, what? And whatever. I like was like, okay. And I walked away and whatever. It, it stuck with me a little bit, but like I kind of got over it. But then like two days later, 
I was sitting on a really uncomfortable sofa on a really, and this is just important to say because it's in the song, I say that, but I was sitting on this really uncomfortable sofa and I had my uke on me and I was just starting to like write on uke. I had just written maybe like one or two songs on uke and I found this chord progression. I was like, okay, this is like kind of cool. Like the whatever. And that's not in key. That's for sure not in key, but whatever. So I started playing it and then I just spurted out this, the entire song. Like it literally came out in like one go. Honestly, I don't like, I, I, I always black out. Someone said something recently. I think Mendel Goldberg. Mendel, uh, Mendel, yeah, Mendel, Mendel on stage. Love it. I love it. Mendel Goldman on stage said something which I totally resonated with. Resonated with? Totally yeah. related with. And he said that he'll write a song and he doesn't ever know how he does it. And that's literally my experience. I'll, I write music and like, I don't remember how it happened. It's just like, oh, this appeared like from God just appeared. Like I don't, I never know. I'm like, I wake up. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I like this. Like, this is good. Anyway, I wrote the song on this uncomfortable sofa and I in the song I say while I'm on some uncomfortable sofa because I was writing it on an uncomfortable sofa which is really important and I keep repeating because I think it's important that people know that it was actually uncomfortable and it was not a nice sofa to be on so yeah I wrote the song and then everyone I showed it to loved it because everyone likes everyone likes to group hate on people it's like a thing people enjoy I've found like everyone likes to hate yeah I don't think people necessarily like to hate on other people I think it's that when you write a song coming from a place of emotion people resonate with that emotion that you're expressing in your song so for example when you were like hated on by someone people listen to your song like yeah i i've been there okay 100 percent. that's actually true that yeah i that's i honestly like i think it's it's a mixture i think a lot of people don't want to feel like they're the cool kid but a lot, i've had people come to me and like they'll ask me are you the cool kid and i'm like well are you like have you heard the song like are you like trying to say like oh i'm this guy that i'm saying i like oh, don't be that guy and em- like, whatever. They try to like say like, oh, is it you? I'm like, maybe. I think everyone has a part of them that is a little like, feels like they're, or like thinks that they're better than other people. It's kind of normal. It's like the ego. But I mean, no, I hope not. Like, also I hope not. I don't want to be like the kid that people feel like they can't come and talk to and not, and like get shoved away because I think I'm better than them. Not, not that I'm saying I think I'm better than everyone. Oh, let's like make it. Yeah, I don't think I'm better than everyone. People are great. I love people and I love talking to people. And I always say to anyone, people DM me like, oh, like I saw you in the street and I didn't say hi. And I was like, that's the worst. Cause I'm like, I wish we could have interacted because my favorite thing is interacting with people who know who I am through my music. Cause then like I get to hear their feedback. Like there's nothing better than hearing someone's feedback on my music. I mean, there's one thing better, which is, them singing along the lyrics at a show. There's nothing better than that feeling. That is cocaine. That is absolute cocaine. Singing along to lyrics of mine that you know at a show gives me like nachas ruchnias, like next level nachas. It's so good. So I have to say, I think the first lesson that we learned on today's episode was obviously when you see Ari in the street, do not piss him off because there will be a song written about you. You might be the inspiration for the next song. Yeah. I'm just going to have to rethink everything I say right now, just in case. I thought the podcast right now, because we know that there's going to be some consequences for it. I've had people come to me and like, actually, I'm not joking. This is 100% serious. People have come to me and like jokingly try to be mean to me because they think I'll write a song. And then we discuss how like they think like it'll get me to write a song. And I'm like, no, it has to, you have to like actually affect me to write a song. People who come to me and say, write a song about me are the people who I don't write songs about. The people I write songs about are the ones who don't want songs about them. 
That's the difference. If you if I write a song about you, you don't want it. No one who I've ever written a song about wanted the song. Bear that in mind. Yeah, it has to happen. And I don't I cannot write out of nowhere. It has to I have to write from feeling an interest to write about something. Mm-hmm. Feeling like connected to something to write about. I can't just like I'm really bad at jamming. I have this weird insecurity with jamming. I have this like idea that I have to I have this perfectionist in me that thinks I have to everything that comes out of me has to be perfect. Like I have to say the correct words at the right time and not like screw it up. And yet you wrote music and you produce music and you actually have songs. Well, the thing with the songs, I'm really perfectionist about them. Like I know what I do well and I love what I do well, but like with my music, I need the lyrics to be perfect. If they're not perfect, I will throw it out. I'm very, very like, there's a part of me at least that is very perfectionist. I'm not saying that I am a perfectionist. There's a part of me that is, that has this like urge for things to be like perfect so jamming i have this weird like fear of like i don't want to just say lyrics on the spot and like just create something on the spot like i have to plan it i have to sit down i have to like choose that moment and like i would never jam in front of people no i would never i just have a way harder time because there's an insecurity there like what if i say something that's dumb or stupid that doesn't sound like a good lyric and then i'm going to be judged for it I'm in therapy again (laughs) well i am a coach and chaim is grief recovery uh, specialist so sick yeah. Welcome to the session. Welcome to the session. We will okay. charge you for this after. <laughs> and I'm kidding. First one's free. First one's free. Okay. I'll be back. But what is, what I want to ask is, what is your goal after everything? After you wrote the song, you produced the song, what do you want your listeners to be getting from your music? Okay. I think my main message and the most important thing to me is that people understand that, that vulnerability and feelings is totally normal and that they can like everyone can relate with you and you're not alone because I know through a lot of my feelings I felt like I'm totally alone in this so people like like we can relate like me and someone else can relate and when people come to me and they're like the best among the best feelings the second best feeling after people singing along with lyrics the second best feeling for me in music is when someone comes to me or messages me or in some way tells me like you said something that I didn't know how to say. And when I heard you say it, I'm like, oh my God, that's what I'm feeling. So when I can provide clarity to someone on their own feelings, like that is such a, like that gives me such like, oh, I'm doing something right here. Like this is like, that's what makes me want to continue making music is when people are like, oh, I relate with exactly what you're saying. And I'm, and I'm glad that you found a way to say it that I couldn't. So my, for me, the message is like, I hope that my music and my vulnerability and my rawness about my feelings should be something that people will hear and be like, oh, I relate with this in some way. And it's okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel mad. It's okay to feel however I'm feeling. Because there's nothing, feelings have no moral, there's no moral attachment to a feeling. I, I actually, my therapist had to tell me this because I didn't realize this. You, there's no way you should feel. You either feel or you don't and and you deal with the results of your feelings. But there's no like, I should feel mad. I should feel sad. Like I have to feel this way. You don't have to, you feel how you feel and you can't, you, and like learning to accept, okay, I feel this way and I can talk about it is how you get through feelings. In my, in my experience, being able to talk to someone about your feelings and your problems and your experiences is like one of the best ways to, to deal with it. And at least for me, that's talking and singing and writing has been my outlet for all my feelings always. Yeah. I love talking as you can tell. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever joined Ari's lives at like two in the morning, but you really see that on on your lives. Okay. You're just like, I'm trying to give it over. 
I, I want to spread my message through music and I want to do that. You keep on saying that and it's beautiful. Yeah. And to realize that, that, that was like my savior during quarantine. So quarantine, I was stuck at home, not a good place for me, not healthy, not great. And I was stuck there for months at a time. And I would every night, like at like 2, 3 a.m., I would go to like this trashy keyboard in my house that I was using um, to write with during quarantine, which I actually wrote some of my, some of what I think are my best songs on that trashy keyboard. So it's one good thing about that. And one good thing about quarantine was bringing out this, an, another part of my art, which I did not have access to until I was stuck in a dark place like that. But basically I would go live every night at like every night slash morning, whatever you want to call it. at like two, 3 AM, sometimes like 4 AM. And I would just like, it was literally like my lifeline being able to like, and do what I want to do, which is play for people and have people join and interact with my music and people were commenting. And like, we had some wild, wild nights on live. Like I had like one night, which was two hours straight. We ended the live and restarted another live. So two hours straight of music and the comments were just on and on and on and so much interaction and like that was like a, that was like a concert for me but it was just instagram live and it was such a cool way to like meet new people people were sending it around to their friends and like it was such a cool it was awesome yeah i totally get that and that's one of the most beautiful things. i mean when i heard the song behind blue eyes by the who for the first time that also helped me sort of contextualize what i'm feeling in a way and what some of my clients were feeling in a way it was hard for me to understand my clients for a while you know like I can try to emphasize with them and I could try to validate them, but I don't really get it. And all of a sudden I heard the song Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's how people feel. I'm like, wait, that's how I felt for years. And it just helped me put everything in order. And I think that's what you do with your music. And I did hear a lot of your music. I felt connected to it because it came from a real place something that's true, something that's honest, and you really want to connect with people. And people do connect with you because I believe that people are afraid. They're afraid to express themselves. They're afraid to express themselves in a way by saying like, how are people going to take this? How are people going to look at me? I may come out stupid or silly in front of them, so why should I even do it? And that's what you're talking about in your songs. You're talking about the, that, that thought process and that feeling and like, wait, should I feel this way? Should I not feel this way? And then you get upset not at the situation, but of the way you're feeling. Like that person could have said something to you three weeks ago and you're still upset about it because you feel that you're not worthy enough and that you're bad. And that's some of the stuff that I heard from your music and that is powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like, that's it. That's what I want. That's literally like the goal is to spread the music to as many people as possible so that as many people as possible will hear a message of you're, you're allowed to be vulnerable and you're allowed to, feel however you feel. And I've had a lot of people come to me and say, why don't you write happy music? Why don't you try to sing a happy song? Why don't you like the people who, the people who say that are not, they're focused. And a lot of people nowadays focus on, they want a good vibe. They want a good feeling. They want to have a, they want like, everything's okay. Everything's fine. And I, there is a value in everything being okay and everything being fine. Cause it would be nice if everything was okay and everything was fine. It would be really nice if everything was, but when it's not, and when it isn't okay to pretend that it's okay is like, I don't like faking things is not it. That's not it for me. Like, it's not it. Like I'm saying not it. Like, it's not it, dude. Like, I don't believe that we should fake our feelings when we're feeling sad. You don't need to pretend you're happy. You can fake it till you make it. And sometimes it'll work. It might work, but I don't know if that's like the move for me is 
you get through sad feelings by expressing sad feelings, by being honest with them and being truthful and not avoiding the feeling and not trying to distract yourself with a, a like a fake version of happiness. That's like, oh, I'm so happy. But you like, are you saying it because you want to be happy or are you saying it because you are happy? And maybe you'll be happy if you actually said how you really feel. Maybe that'll lead you to something. Not that it's led me there. So like, I, I'm not the real, I don't think I'm the greatest speaker or arbiter of like, oh, like if you say that you're sad enough, then you'll be happy. Like, no, I'm not. I don't consider myself a happy person. I don't think I'm, I'm not happy all the time. I do have happy moments and I am aware of my moments when I'm happy and they're great. And I'm pretty aware of my sad moments and I'm pretty open about them too. I think the word that you used just now, aware, I, th I think that's the key because many times we, we have these feelings, right? Negative feelings, we'll call them mm -hmm. just for the sake of argument, don't. sadness, anger, frustration, and we tend to avoid them. We don't say, no, we got to focus on the good. We got to focus on the happiness. But what happens is sometimes a, we'll call it a big wave of sadness or a big wave of frustration will come and will knock you down and you'll have no idea how to get back up because you have no idea what these feelings really are. You have never really looked at these feelings in the face and say, yeah, this is what it is. This is why I'm feeling this way. I know it. I can say it. I can verbalize it. I can contextualize it and I understand it. So when it comes to me next time, I'm not going to allow it to knock me completely off my feet, but I'm going to sit with it and allow these feelings to be, <laughs> and then I can overcome it. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people are missing. I know that I was missing it for years, for a very, very long time. I couldn't express my frustration, my anger, and that gave me anxiety. That didn't allow me to cope. And at one point, I'm like, wait, I, I must be a terrible person because I'm feeling angry. I must be a terrible person because I'm feeling sad. But that's not it because I never really looked at my feelings like, hey, hey, feelings, what are you saying? What is going on? When I finally had the courage to actually look and like recognize my negative feelings, I was able to overcome them. And then all these negative thoughts that I had about myself, about who I am as a person, started fading away. And also a very important thing, which I saw with what Ari was saying, is it's okay not to be okay. A lot of people believe that they have to be okay. You always have to be happy. You always have to be a certain way. It's your reputation. It's everything. But no, it's okay not to be okay because yeah. if... You you're not okay and you're not expressing it. You're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole topic of being okay with not being okay is the, in my opinion, the way to grow. And I've spoken about this before, but once you allow yourself to be in this very moment, you can know what the next step is. Mm. You can't skip over steps. You can't just say, okay, I'm not okay. And that doesn't matter because I have much more things to do. I mean, yeah, there are important things to do in your life, but you also have to know how to ground yourself and appreciate the very moment. You know, there is a saying that says you need to appreciate the bad as much as you appreciate the good. The bad is, well, it's not really bad. It's only bad if you allow yourself to see it that way. If you live in a one-dimensional plane where you see everything the way it is, then yeah, it's going to look bad. But if you see things on a two-dimensional plane, meaning I'm not going to see things the way they are, but rather what they could be, then this bad thing, you can turn it around into something awesome. Hmm. And it's, it's something that we forget. You know, this is why chassidus and spirituality 
is such an important part of our lives because it's not just the concept of this is what it is and that's it. No, it could be so much more. That's why we tend to see things, especially on a two-dimensional plane, on a physical and a spiritual way of looking at things. And that's why you need to be okay with not being okay and understanding what this not okay is in order to grow from it, in order to see on this two-dimensional plane, on this from the lenses of someone who actually wants to grow and not say, oh, I'm going to be in denial of this part of my life. I'm going to be oblivion to my hardships. Then you can never overcome them. Then you can never be more. Yeah, you don't want to be oblivious. And we tend to do that. I like what you said before about when you wrote Give Love. I mean, when I listened to it, I kind of just related to it because as a grief recovery specialist, the only reason I went into this field is because I grieved myself and I just wanted to help everyone that was going through anything similar that I was going through. And I just wanted to give love. And I kind of heard that in your song the first time. I mean, I, don't th- I didn't think that that is what you were talking about. But to finally find out that that's what you're talking about, it's actually really cool. Actually, for a while, at the end of every single one of my posts, and I think I should go back to that, I do, I write hashtag share the love because it is important even for people who are technically hating on us, people who tend to think, people who seem like they're lashing out at us because they don't like us. It, it's not only that. So this is coming back to the whole two-dimensional plane thing. You could see someone in the way of he's lashing out. He's saying a bad thing to me. He's offending me because he doesn't like me or can see it on another level of, wait, yeah. hold on, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's see this on a more spiritual level, so to say, of he just needs some love. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, I totally agree with that. You can view it like one dimensionally, which is just, oh, this hurts me. I don't like this. I think, yeah, mean people who are acting mean are people who have a void that they need filled very often. Like, I don't think most people act mean out of pure malevolence. I think a lot of it is because there's something missing and like they like they're just having a bad day and things are really going wrong and like they just need some support and they don't know how to express that other than through being mean i i worked in the food industry which is a fancy way of saying i'm a barista but yeah like i've 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 served people coffee i've made people like drinks and serve people pastries and stuff and i've had customers who are just so so difficult and like they honestly will go out of their way to make themselves more difficult. And it's really hard to like have the mindset of like, okay, this person needs, they like, they're just like not thinking about it one dimensionally. Like, oh, this person's hurting me and thinking like, oh damn, like they need, they need something. There's something missing. And on the rare occasion, because obviously I'm not perfect and I don't know what to do most of the time. But on the rare occasion that I do notice like, oh shoot, like, let me, let me try something. And I try to be like, extra nice to someone who's being mean to me i've never seen it go wrong honestly i had like an old lady come into the store clearly already like not in the mood to deal with anyone she walked into the store and she like started like asking me for stuff like totally fine like whatever and she was giving a lot of attitude and like saying a lot of like under her breath comments and that stuff like that like really bugs me like people calling me things that they don't know about me bugs me i i guess it triggers me and it and it reminds me of like in my history, like stuff like that happening. Yeah, we can t- we can get more in depth about that in another conversation or later in this conversation. But she was like being, she was just so, so difficult to deal with. So difficult to deal with. And I was like, you know what? Let me just be like the nicest I possibly can to this old lady. Like, let's see what happens. I'll just test it, whatever. Like I have the patience to do this right now. So 
I just started being like the best possible barista you could ever ask for. Like I was asking her about her day. I was asking her about like, like if she needs anything extra, I was like going out of my way for her. And slowly I literally saw, and this is like no joke. I slowly saw like, she like started to realize, oh my God, like she realized like I'm, I'm the person in the wrong here. And she slowly started like changing. She was like, oh my God, you're so like, you're so sweet. You're so nice. And then she was like, she ended off the conversation with, I'm really sorry. I came in like with so much attitude. Like it was my bad. Like, and she realized like, cause if you, if you provide people when someone's mean to you, you can provide a mirror and show them like be mean back to them. And then they just have an excuse to react the same way back to you. So it's just a feedback loop of like being mean, but sometimes it doesn't work all the time, but with a lot of people, if you don't respond with a mirror and you respond like maybe by showing them, maybe it is a mirror too, but by showing them like, Hey, like you're the, you're the person being mean by being so nice that they, that their behavior sticks out to them. Like, Oh shoot, it was me. And then you don't have to like call them out for being mean. You just be so nice that they just start realizing that they're not being nice, which is the coolest like trick. And it works. I've used that trick like probably five, six, seven times in the past since I like realized I can try it and it works all the time. I mean, probably more than that, but I just remember off the top of my head, like maybe five times where like I actually actively chose to do it and it worked. Yeah. Being nice is honestly so cool. It really like things only work out better when you're nice to people almost like all the time. Like even people who hate you when you're nice to them, like it just works out. I don't know, maybe for me, but people are great when you, when you show them that you support them and you show, and you look at them like they're a person. That's all. There's this guy that I really admire and he keeps saying things like, you have no idea how far a person can go by showing him a little bit of support, a little bit of love. And so many people are lacking that these days from so many different places, from childhood that's still stuck with them or from, Amen. Or, or from current events or from, you know, so many from their job. And it just becomes a part of their life, part of their habits, sitting in that job that is just so, that's eating at their soul. Yeah. And that's how they reflect that onto other people because mm. they just can't fathom anything else. But when you show them that love and that support and that care, their entire mindset just shifts, shifts into this place of like, wait, may maybe everything isn't that bad. Maybe if I try to be more loving, I'll be able to bring more love into my life. And it, it, it gets people to think in a positive way about themselves. Yeah, I have, I have, I've almost never seen in my life where I just gave someone unconditional love and it backfired at me or like they started thinking about themselves that, that they're such a terrible, terrible person mm. because I am so loving and they're not. I have never seen that happen so far. Okay. And I think that was a point that you were trying to speak about. And I think that's also the point that you're trying to express in your music, which is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I have this thing with strangers. I love strangers. I, I don't like to use the word love like very generously because love is a really strong word for me. But like I connect a lot with strangers. I really enjoy being around strangers. I will generally prefer to hang out with people I don't know than people I do know. Why? Well, a, a lot of reasons. Like you get to choose who you are with a stranger. You get to choose which type of person you're going to be. And I've, and I've seen that there's two types of people when it comes to a stranger. There's the people with, I'm not this person all the time, but like me when I'm like this in my good moments, who go out of their way to be nice to strangers and go out of their way to be the, the supporting hand all over the world and with everyone they meet. 
And then there's the opposite end, which is people who use this power position with a stranger to like take control because they're lacking control. So I have friends who they will see strangers in the street and they will actively like go out of their way to like make fun of the stranger so that the stranger will notice they're making fun of them because there's this like power that you get. Like they, there's no consequences. Like, oh, I get to say whatever I want and they're not going to come fight me. They're not going to come, they're just going to walk away and have a worse day. And I don't care about that because I get to show that I'm in control right now and I'm lacking in that control. And I have, I have friends and a lot of friends of mine who I've seen do this. And every time they do it, I'm like, bro, like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, it's just, it's just a joke. I'm like, okay, like there's, there's a lot more to it than just a joke. Like, you know what I'm saying? So then there's the other type of person, which is like, which is who I try to be, which is you can literally change any stranger's day by being in any realm supportive in some way you can change someone's day by being supportive. I love going around and like talking to strangers and I get to choose who I get to be. And I get to be the most nice, good person because with a stranger, there's no expectation. You get to do whatever you want and you can either take control or you can be a good person and be really nice and then take control of their life in a good way and change their day. Actually, just today, I ran to the supermarket to grab something and I saw a friend of mine from Seoul and passed by him like, like, hey, what's up? So I passed by him on the way in, and the way out, I passed by him again, like, yo, have a great day. And he looks at me, he's like, thank you so much. I didn't, like, I barely tried. Yeah. And just saying, because I want to have a great day, had so much impact. 100%. I've seen that all the time. Like, there's this thing in Crown Heights, this little, like, secret that, like, people will talk about. Not secret, this little, like, undertone that, like, people will sometimes discuss, which is the good Shabbos thing. So, like... Throughout a lot of the world, for or it seems to be for a long time, um, saying good Shabbos on Shabbos was like, or at least maybe this, I have this image in my head of like the world did that. Like it was the thing everyone did. Like you walk in the street, you see your neighbors going to show, you say good Shabbos. It was like a thing. And there's like this little like stigma and crown nights around saying good Shabbos. It's like a lot of my friends will talk about it. Like they, no one says it to each other. Like no one goes out of their way to say it. When you're in New York and there's so many people, you don't really think of people as people. It's just oh, it's just another, there's so many of them, like they're not individuals, they're just so many people, but they're not individual people. And I personally love to turn around the narrative and go and like try to say good child's people because it's, it's first of all, I'm used to it. Like growing up, it was like a normal thing because I'm from Florida originally. That's like, we don't do, like Crown Nights is very, very different from how I was raised. And not that, not that I was raised well. I was not raised well. I was absolutely not raised well, but at least community-wise with the Good Shabbos thing, we definitely had, at least in my memory or maybe my selective memory, we said Good Shabbos. It was like a thing. Crown Nights, it's like not a thing. People, I say Good Shabbos to people and I have my friends like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? I'm like, like, I don't know. Like, why wouldn't you say Good Shabbos to someone and like, maybe they'll feel nicer. I don't know. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, my bad. You know, I, I like turn it into a little bit of a game. Like, so it's, it's like, I don't get mad when people don't say it back because it's like, it's more like a funny because it's like, Either they say it back and they're really happy I said it, or they don't say it back because they're like thinking, what are you doing? And then it just makes me laugh a little because like, really? Like, I don't know. It's, I don't get mad at them. I just think it's a funny situation that they wouldn't say it back. And now they feel really awkward, like walking away. And then they're dealing with the rest of not saying it back because they're going to live the rest of their life doubting and regretting that one moment. They didn't say good Shabbos to me when I said it to them. And a lot of it, by the way, and I'm going to say this because a lot of people have said, 
I see good shabbos to so many people in Crown Heights and they don't say it back. This is not like a huge topic, but I've just had this discussion with my friends enough times that it sticks in my head to the point where I want to talk about it. How you say it changes how people take it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, come, if you say good shabbos with like a smile on your yeah. face and like looking like with the but if you're like stern, like when people come to me and say good shabbos in, in a weird way like that, I will not respond. I will actively like, do I will not do response to that. I'll be the I'll be the person who like will end their career when they do that. <laughs> no, like the like it's it's not about the words Kachavis. It's about the feeling you express through it. Yeah. So it's not saying, oh Kachavis is just an expression, but it's how you filter your feelings through that. So if you say it with a smile on your face, very often people will respond. So when I say it, I have success rate of like 75% responses, maybe 80% responses, because I try to say it with a smile on my face. And I notice when I say it and I'm not in the mood to say it, the response rate will be lower because people don't, they'll just like, they think you're doing it because you feel like you have to. Like, yeah. Shab -ins. Shab -ins. I think, I think we just got a little sneak peek into Alnif's next song. <laughs> Did we? Shabbos. Can I just say one thing? Not all my music is about one person saying a mean thing to me. And I think I should clear that up. It's just the first two songs happen to be about people saying mean things to me and how I responded. The first song being Give Love, which is responding with love, which was mature. The second song responding with a criticism of, of them, which is in one way immature because like I'm not giving them the love that maybe they need. But also it's a great, it's a bit of a bigger picture thing about this idea of someone it's about oh this person is not like they're so focused on materialism and so focused on like what they're wearing and what they own and they're not thinking like oh human to human so that's just i like my songs are not all about people who, who like say one word to me a lot of them like i'm not that shallow i'm shallow in some ways but i'm not that shallow did you also write young did I, oh, okay young young is a song just to introduce it a little bit Young is a song of mine with Jericho, the very talented, very, very talented man who I know as Yaniv, who makes every conversation with anyone difficult because I always think of him in my head as Yaniv. Whenever I tell people, oh yeah, Yaniv, they go, who's Yaniv? They're like, who are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to say Jericho in a sentence if I know that, you know what I'm saying? Like it has this- I have the same thing when I talk about you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, when people have like another, like a pen name, it's very difficult to talk with other people about them because you don't know like which word to say. But anyway, Young is a really cool story how that song started. I don't think anyone, not anyone, there are very few people who know like the full length of how that song started. This song is a crazy song. So Young, Yaniv, who is Jericho. So I'm going to say that once and now I'm going to refer to him as Yaniv. The rest of the time I talk about him, it's going to be Yaniv. Anyway, Yaniv came down to Wilkes, the school I was in. Amazing, amazing school. Best decision I ever made in my life was going there. And I, and I don't say that like flippantly. I say it seriously best decision I ever made but Yaniv came down to like sort of like talk to the guys and like have a little like moment with everyone and maybe like sing a bit for everyone so because a lot of the kids knew him he doesn't know this so I'm gonna just spill some trash but I happen to not know him that well like I really didn't know his music very well I was not like specifically into it I didn't know it that much I just knew he was I knew of him but I didn't know I wasn't like a fan I didn't like understand any of his music really but he came down he said his story and i was like i thought it was amazing and then of course it's wilkes there's tons of talented kids there this is a school that prides itself in removing obstacles from kids lives and just allowing you to express your whatever it is that that is within you and talent happens to shine when all your obstacles are removed which i was telling a little earlier today anyway so 
after he played, like he played some songs, some kids sang along. It was really nice, like a great, like awesome. And then he asked, does anyone like want to play some stuff? Because a lot of the kids were writing. So I played a song. Some of my friends played songs. A lot of my talented friends got to like have a moment there. It was really nice. But that's not even the main point. I'm getting off topic. The real point is he took out his guitar and he said, okay, we are going to write uh, a niggun right now. A niggun is, I'm just going to describe what a niggun is because I don't really know how to, how to, I don't know what it is. It's just a melody. A niggun is like a melody, like an emotional melody that is from Jews, basically, from like Hasidic Jews. Like, like that's literally the whole thing. Anyway, so he's like, we're going to write one right now. And he put out his guitar and he played four chords. I think it was four chords. He's just playing chords. And everyone like started like trying to come up with something. And out of the, the, I don't know, out of the nether, it just, the nether, the aether, out of, out of something, this tune just appeared and it was like, whatever, yeah, I'm not gonna, you can't, whatever. Point is, everyone comes up with this like tune together and we sing it. Point is, we come up with this tune. I actually have the original recording on my phone of this moment. It was like 13 minutes of like everyone like coming up with it together. We just repeated this, this tune over and over, okay? This is in... I might be wrong about this. I think this was 2019, like December or so, 2019. That's my guess. So like, this is a while ago. Young came out in March of 2021. So it's, there's there's a lot of time there. But point is, that was written. There was this like sort of melody that was recorded. It was like a, this idea, whatever, he threw it out, happened, right? Anyway, then I get, I mean, I moved to New York. I was home for quarantine. Our school got shut down the worst among the worst and best things that could have happened because a lot of good things came out of it, but a lot of terrible things obviously happened because of that. And quarantine was like honestly miserable. But I moved to New York after a few months stuck at home. I was like, I am out of here. This is not good for me. I'm I'm done. I booked a flight to New York three days later. I packed my stuff and I, I just went to New York. I was like, we're going to figure it out. Came to New York like a starving artist and I just figured it out. And within like two weeks, I had moved into a place through magic and God, and I don't know, it just happened. But I got a message from Yaniv. We hadn't really spoken much. He'd like messaged me maybe a few times. We'd like did a few like little bits of lyrics, just discussing lyrics a bit. And I didn't like, we hadn't had done, we hadn't done anything official or even like met in person really. We had the time at Wilkes. We had one time in the Han and Sukkah during one of the, one of the jams. So like, it wasn't much of like a, of a connection. But then he was like, hey, I want you to come to the, to my studio. I was like, okay, sweet. So I came to his studio, love his studio till today. Beautiful couch there. Awesome. Great. Love that studio. More of a comfortable sofa than the one from Cool Kids? Way more of a comfortable sofa. There's a rug too. It's it's nice. It's 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 a little nice little studio. So I was just chilling there. We were hanging out. We spoke a little bit. And then he's like, by the way, I want to show you like something. I was like, okay, cool. So we started playing what is now young, but he started playing the song and he played like that that niggun that we made up in Wilkes with all of my friends. Like it was all of us together making this and he played it and then he played a verse that he had written for it. He was like, what do you think of this? I was like, this is, this sounds great. And he's like, oh, I want you on this. I was like, okay, like I'm down. Sure. Like I'd love to, this is like a song that's literally made by me and all my friends. Like we made this like for Fran. I think that's the right word, but we made this like, I'd love to be on. And also he like, he's so talented. I'd love to work with him. Like it would be like, It'd be awesome to work with someone like that. And we started writing and within honestly, maybe 30, 40 minutes, probably less, the entire song was basically finished. Maybe in my memory, that's how it happened. I black out, so I don't really remember. I black out during writing sessions. I don't know how, how long things take, but at least in my head, it was like 30, 40 minutes. 
and we had finished like I had written the chorus and we wrote my I wrote my verse and then we I wrote the bridge so like it was a mix of our writing he wrote his verses and it was it was like a great lyrical intertwinedness because we like had both written a good amount of it and I really like the song it's a great song so we we had it on guitar originally we like had the whole thing like played out we went to the studio went to this guy this really really talented producer Kareem who I refer to as K. We went to this guy K. He made magic out of the song and it sounds great. And then f- within a few months it came out and it came out like maybe a year and a half after it was originally like the original like seeds of it were like planted, which is back in Wilkes when the original like tune was invented. So it's a really long story for a song, but it's really cool. I think it's really cool. You know, we actually spoke about this in the second episode about planting seeds and like allowing them to grow. Sometimes we create things and we have no idea when it's going to come back at us to actually see that result, which that's beautiful. Like a year and a half after you guys just sat and jammed, there was a creation that was created from it. You guys took advantage of that and you guys didn't just like leave that as an opportunity. You guys appreciated that opportunity and used it and created something beautiful. Yeah, it's a fire song. I love that song. I actually like was in an Apple store. Um, because I like Apple stores, they're fun. I like seeing the new products. I always have a good time. The The day of the iPhone 13 launch, I went to the Apple store to like check out the new phones. And I was like trying out like their headphones, the AirPod Pro Max, whatever they're called. I had them. I was like trying them out. And I was like going through like Apple Music, like listening to the stuff there. I don't know why I just opened up Yaniv's page. And I was like, just like looking at his page on this like huge iPad. And I, I pressed Young. And I literally, while listening to Young, I forgot it was my song. I was just like listening to it as a listener, which I've never been able to do with any of my songs. Like there's always like, I'm in this. Like I know I'm in this. And every time I listen to it, it's me like judging it as me. But I forgot it was my song. And I'm like listening to it. I was like, oh my God, this is great. Like I love these lyrics. I love this guy's voice. I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like this is my song. Oh, shoot. And I was like, that was a really like cool moment to like dissociate from it and like hear it as an outsider, even though I made it, even though I'm a part of it, you know? As an artist, how how does it feel? How do you feel towards your own music? People don't want to hear this, but I really like my music. Like a lot of artists don't, I, I think it's like more common for artists to be like, yeah, I hate it, my music is so bad. I really like my music and I like, I like what's like, I appreciate a lot of what I'm good at and I know what I'm good at and I'm like confident in what I'm good at. I also know what I'm not good at and I know what I'm decent at and I know what I'm an amateur in. So I try not to judge myself too harshly. Like, sorry, I judge myself pretty harshly. I have a pretty like high expectation for myself, but I know what I'm good at and I don't pretend like, oh, I'm not good at this. No, I'm not going to pretend I'm not good at something if I know I'm good at it. And I happen to really, like, I like my music. I, I listen, I would listen to my own music if I wasn't me. And I think that that's, that's like a big important part of like my technique in how I present myself as a musician, how I produce, how I write, how I do everything has been through one lens, which I, I don't think I've heard from many people, but this is one lens of mine, which is I want everything to be in, done in a way that if I was an audience member viewing one of my favorite artists, so I'm, I have a bunch of my favorite artists and I, and I see them put out music and they're still putting out music and they're great, except for Frank Sinatra because he's dead. The point is all these artists putting out music, like I'm thinking, I want my music to be put out in a way that if they had done the same thing I'm doing, I would be like, I love this. So I'm judging myself not by my own standard, by the standard of, oh, if they did this, I'd love it. So that's why I'm like, yeah, if my favorite artist put out one of my songs that I've written recently or 
the songs I'm very confident in, 100%, I, I know I would love it. So like, why would I judge it badly if I know if an artist put out the same thing as me? It's it's a little complicated, but do you understand what I'm saying? I totally get it, yeah. yeah. I think that's a really healthy way of looking at yourself and we'll call it judging yourself. Well, I'm not healthy, but that might be. So what would you recommend to any person listening to this podcast who's a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and they're just starting out? What would you recommend to them? What are your best advice? Okay. I've never been asked this question and it feels like an honor to be asked this question. Honestly, I feel real. I actually feel very honored right now because I've listened to podcasts where artists are asked this question. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like, I'm being asked, what's your advice? I'm not big enough to the point where like my advice, I wouldn't put my advice on such a pedestal for someone who's writing music and someone who's trying to get into the field of music. I have a strong belief that art needs to be expressed and shown. I don't believe that that when you write a song, it should be for yourself. It shouldn't be something that you keep to yourself and hide. It needs to be revealed. It needs to be expressed because there will be someone who will hear that and love it and appreciate it. And when I was starting off, my biggest issue was this fear that it, like everyone would pretend I was good when I wasn't. And like they would pretend my voice sounded nice when it wasn't. I would not perform in front of people. Like when I first got into Wilkes, I would not perform in front of anyone. And we were like, my first year in Wilkes was in Mount Cobb. It was like this little like cabin in the middle of the woods. Great year, but a a crazy year. But I would like sit on this, another dingy little piano there, a little dingy little keyboard. I have this thing with them. I just always run into them and they like end up where I write most of my good music is on these like little trashy, dingy keyboards. So I would like not play in front of other people because I was scared. And I think the, the biggest thing that got me to where I am today, wherever that is, I still don't know. But the biggest thing that got me to at least be more confident in my music and to whatever level of whatever I am now, not saying it well, because I don't know how to properly say this, is the fact that I kept showing it to people and I kept expressing it. I did not hide it and keep it to myself. I was pushed by my friends. I was pushed by everyone around me who was saying like, hey, I want to hear that. Like, show me your next song. I want like, they were supportive. And when you express yourself to people who care about you, and people who want what's best for you, they're going to support you. And if you're not good, hopefully they'll tell you you're not good. And like, I had to learn to accept, like, if I'm not good, then maybe I'll be told I'm not good. And then this isn't the path for me. Or maybe all I need is just a little, a stronger push to keep going in this direction and I'll do better. My music back then, like four years ago was absolute trash. It was trash. I would like, sorry, it wasn't trash. It was like, glorified trash it was like a little there was some good in it like there was some trash there was like a lot of trash and like there was good in it because of course there was good in it because like if it was trash then I wouldn't have ever done anything with it but I've definitely improved so much just because I kept going and I kept showing it to people and I kept trying to like getting feedback from people and you want to surround yourself with people who will be honest with you not people who will tell you what you want to hear but people who will be honest with you and give you honest feedback Criticism is like the best thing for someone who wants to grow in anything. Because if you're not told what you're doing wrong, you don't get to grow. You're just doing the same thing you've always done. And either that's good or that's bad. But criticism gets to pushes you to change what you're doing in, in ways. And honestly, sorry, but not, not all criticism is actual good criticism. To like you have to find a balance because some people will say the dumbest things because they have no understanding of things. I had someone who messaged me once. I don't want to go too far into it, but he, he messaged me and he said, why aren't you making rap music? Yeah, surprising. Exactly. And I, I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you want to make money, 
you would be doing what everyone's like, you would be like making the music that is everyone's listening to right now. And at the time, which was 2018, mumble rap music was this thing. He's like, why aren't you jumping into that field? I was like, number one, who says I'm doing this for money? Cause I'm broke. Like I'm not like do my, I will show you my wallet. There's no proof here that I'm making anything off what I'm doing. And I'm still like, no, I'm not broke right now, but like I've, I've been broke, bro. Like I've been broke. And we're all broken, little part of us. I'm broken and broke. But I was like, why is your mindset that, number one, it's about money? And number two, like, do you know me? Like, if you knew me, you would never tell me to, like, make rap music. Not that I would never get involved in rap music. I, I would love to work with rappers. But telling me, oh, like, stop what you're doing and make music that is not you. Like, that's not good criticism. That's someone who just doesn't know good music and thinks that it's about money. Like, it's not about money. It's about fame <laughs> no no no. it's not about money or fame it's about like i care about my music and i care that i am writing what's authentic to me and i care about sharing that so why like being inauthentic would go totally against the whole point like even if i made money off selling my soul and starting to mumble rap not that i could do it well because i can't but like even if i could mumble rap really well what would be the point if i just faked my way through that okay i got huge and famous and rich and just lived an empty, an empty soul tearing life as a mumble rapper that I didn't want. Like, no, I'll be poor, but at least I'll be real. Yeah, that that part of being authentic is is a truth. That is a truth because each person, each individual person has their own unique, special, creative side of them. It doesn't matter how creative you are, but you have something about you that is you, that is no one else but you. And hiding that is, is a sin to a certain extent. You're like, you're hiding something beautiful from the world or you're faking yourself to the world, to everyone out there because you're afraid or because someone else told you something. Instead of you being authentic with yourself and allowing yourself to be, you have no idea the extent of what you can do, what you can create by being authentic. Hmm. Also, I think that has a lot to do with, as they say, that be yourself because everyone else is taken. Mm. And I also have to say that Ari, you're an incredible person. Your music is incredible. Please do not change because I feel like I feel like there's a bunch of fangirls listening to this podcast and they're yelling Hopefully. this. Hopefully. They're just yelling this. So I'm just gonna say it for them. Don't change. Continue doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, if I change, you'll know I sold out. So either I got like a, a nice amount of cash that really like threw my entire moral system off and I was like, you know what, I'll just be fake for this. Which you'll know because you'll see how like I'll be so rich that I'll make sure everyone knows. But like, yeah, if I sell out, it'll be very obvious. Like I'm not gonna like slowly sell out. It'll be like a quick like, yeah, like like I just put out a new song and it's completely like mumble rap, and that's all you'll know. You know. So we really hope that day never comes. Yeah, if that day comes, like, just don't talk to me, cause uh, or maybe give me a hug, cause I'll probably need one. Yeah, we're gonna give you some love. Yeah, give love. Oh my god. Dude, that, that song has ruined that phrase for me. I'm not joking. I can't even, like, that's one thing about music that people don't tell you about. You can't say things once you make music. Because when you say things, you're referencing things that you've said. So, like, if I say the words give love ever again, I'm it's done. Because then everyone's like, eh. like, no, no. I just said the words give love. And, like, oh, I can't say the words cool kids. I can't, like, say the words like you're too old or you're too young without referencing these songs. There's a lot of, like, famous music has done this. Like, oh, there's a lot of phrases. Like, none of them come to mind right now. But, like, people will say something, and, like, immediately the phrase is, oh, I have one. Okay, I have a song called If I'm Being Honest, one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And every time any friend 
it's, it's a really common phrase to say if I'm being honest. And like every time someone says that, I'm like, oh my God, I start singing it. Or like they start singing it. And anyone who knows, it's just like one of those things. It's, it's with a lot of my music that it happens. That actually makes a lot of sense because a lot of the music that you write is about situations in life. It's yeah. about you being you. Mm-hmm. It's about the world happening around you. So yeah. it's going to come up. Yeah, and I have a thing for phrases. I love phrases. I love writing with lyrics. I love taking phrases and like changing them and like things that you've heard a million times and like trying to like make it a little cooler or funnier. I had, I had a line, just a random line. This is not the greatest of my lines, but this is one line that's specifically I thought of right now which was like better sorry than safe. Like I like to like flip around things and make, well, that was like a really like sadistic song, which is about like, like me being the devil, which is like eight of my songs it's about like either me or someone being the devil. Like I just, I love that. I love the, like, I love the spiritual. I love taking spiritual ideas and like making them crazy and fun and not, not a, like, like not like a, like a, not a Dvartora. Like I'm actually just like making something really fun, like angels. If I had to ask any question to any artist, what would be the hardest thing about doing a live performance? Okay. Interesting question. The hardest thing about doing a live performance in the past, it was always the nerves for me. It was always, I was so nervous. I was so scared to like play in front of people. But once I got over that, it was really technical things. It's like, it's two parts. It's the fear that, that things will technically go wrong when you're dealing with sound systems, you're dealing with other artists on stage with you, you're dealing with like, like, like actual technical issues can go wrong. Sound can just shut off. Like things, like things just happen. Like every sound check is perfect and every show is somehow like destroyed. And the sound check is like an hour before the show. So like what happened? What happened between them other than like God? Like there's nothing between those two moments. So like, yeah, like technical things going wrong is always one fear, but really it's like making a show happen is so, so crazy and takes so much effort and work. And you just want to make it perfect for the audience. You want the audience to walk in and just feel like it's seamless and like nothing's ever seamless, but you want to make it as seamless as possible. And I did a concert in July in Crown Nights at a show and it was, it was honestly went really, really well. But the day of the show, like the show was at maybe seven, uh, I think 8 p.m. The show like started. We, I got up, I got up late cause I'm, cause I got up late. But like, I got up at like 9.30, like, and at 10, we had already started preparing. After a night's work of preparing for the show, 10 a.m. We walked into the space to set it up. We were there from 10 a.m. till 8 p.m. Literally the entire time, just setting up the show. No breaks, completely like working our butts off to make it happen. It was me and my friend. Me and my very, very, very talented friend and producer and music, like my music lord and savior, the guy who like I ask all my questions to, who just knows the industry really well. Somehow, my friend Shlomo Wolf, we set up the show together, me and him, just us two, we figured it out. And yeah, me like we were there eight, like 10 a.m. until what is it, 8 p.m. when the show starts. Like we had just finished setting up when the show was about to start. I didn't want to be seen by the audience because I think it's a really cool element to not being seen by the audience before it's your turn to go. Because there's this like anticipation that builds. And I've seen, like, I judge myself, like I said before, by what other artists do. And, I've, and I know when I go to a show, you don't see the artist until it's time for the artist to go on. And that's important because you're, you're building this like curtain that has to be opened. It's not like, oh, like, I'm just chill. And of course, like I wanted to meet the audience members, but obviously that's, I have to do it after the show. 
like after it finishes. But point is, like we had just finished everything like 8 p.m. on the dot. Like I had ran out as fans were walking in. I ran out through the back door so no one would see me. And then I went home and I got changed. I, I scootered on home and I got changed. I looked in the mirror and I gave myself a pep talk for 10 seconds. And I realized I'm, I have to get back. I ran back and I got in like literally. And I have to get onto the show now. I did the show. Show ended. We were there till 3, 4 a.m. cleaning up. They're, like with a show, things take so much work. People forget that. And that from at least now, the stress when it comes to show is not about performing. It's about either things going wrong technically or things, just the amount of time it takes, the amount of like literal body work and sweat. It takes sweat, blood, tears. I like swept the floor after the show. Like I don't have a, I can't hire a cleaning company. Like I'm not God. Like I'm like, I'm like just sweeping the floor after the show. Cause someone like brought in like a, a plate of sushi and like happened to smear one cleanly and nicely across the entire floor. And I was like cleaning that up after the show and everyone was like, well, everyone had a good time and they went home. But like I was cleaning. I was like, that's like the hardest part of the show. Other than that, performance wise, I've grown a lot to the point where everything, at least since that show, I had a realization that came upon me at that show. I did not know how many people were going to be there. I walked in expecting maybe 60 people to show up. I didn't see the audience, remember? Because I didn't want them to see me. I come out to the show, to the audience, and I walk out on stage singing Cool Kids, actually. And there are so many people in there. I was like, how did this happen? Like, And I was so like blown away by all these people there. I didn't know they even bought tickets. And like, there's so many people there. And like, that gave me this realization. I came to this realization of like, oh my God, all these people are paying money from their pockets to see me. Like, why would I be nervous now? And I say, and like, I've thought about this. Like, why would I be nervous if they're all here for me? Like, I, like they're here to see me. They're here to support me. Like, why would I feel like, oh, like there's no need, like there's no need for nerves. It's just really exciting. So I was just like, it was a great show and nothing went wrong with the sound by pure God and magic and Hashgacha Pratis. Love that word. Like everything turned out amazing. And we got great feedback for weeks after that. And I had a flight the next morning. Since we're coming to the end of the episode, we ask each one of our guests to recommend three books, three of your favorite books. So what three books would you recommend and why? Okay. Growing up, I was a huge reader. I loved reading. It was like a big thing for me. As I aged and phones were a thing that was normal, that really took from my reading abilities. Not reading abilities, it's just whatever. There was a lot of details that led to me reading less, a bunch of things, whatever, lots of things, which we can discuss another for the next episode. We'll discuss more about how it happened. But point is I don't read as much as I'd like to, although I, I really miss it and I want to go back to it. And I'm trying to like slowly get back in, but books I'd recommend some of my favorite books. Okay. So three books, number one, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. I read that book three times, cover to cover really like that book. A lot of people say it's like, oh, it's a manipulation book. You're just trying to get people to do what you want. Like, no, you're just trying to figure out how you can best express what you need and what you want so that you can have healthy relationships with someone else and give them also what they need and what they want. So you can call that manipulation. I just call it a relationship. And he also clearly says anyone who tries to use his tactics for manipulation is going to hell or something. He like says something funny about it. Like whatever, like it's like, maybe it'll work, but don't do it. That's number one, how to win friends and influence people. And number two, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I'm not even done the book, but it's one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I've been reading it for about a year and a half right now. I'm like still going through it, but really difficult read, but 
really enjoy that book. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, there's something about old time humor of like people from like, I don't even know when he's from the 1900s or like the, I laugh out loud when I'm reading those books. Like no one does that to me nowadays. Like that was, that's sick. And the third book, probably like on the Tanya. The Tanya. Should I, should I like plug the Tanya? I could plug the Tanya. No, I would love to plug the Tanya, but I haven't actually finished the Tanya yet. So I can't really like plug it well. But I've never like got like maybe like Paraclomid Bays is my favorite Parak of Tanya. So like read Paraclomid Bays. I don't know. Like, is that like a third book recommendation? We can use it. Yeah. Do we use that? Sure. Paraclomid Bays of Tanya is really is great. So that's chapter 32 of Tanya by the Alter Rebbe. Great book. Great book. Life-changing book. And the last thing we do is we ask five rapid questions. Oh my God. Okay. The point of these are just don't think, say what first comes to your mind. I actually didn't have much time to prepare this week. So I kind of wrote them last night after the show. Okay. Like literally after talking to you, I was like, what could I ask Ari? And I wrote them down. My heartbeat is like racing right now because I don't know what you're going to say. And I know if I say something dumb, I'm going to be like really embarrassed. I mean, they're mean, but, but I mean, the music I might, questions. Oh, music questions. I okay, just great. did it through that. I, like, I, I thought this was going to be like a controversial, like, oh, I'm going to ask you like really difficult questions and you have to answer with like one word and then we'll move on to the next one. If you could perform in any venue, which venue would it be? Madison Square Garden. What would be your favorite song? Let's just say if, okay, let's just talk Frank Sinatra only. Yeah, because I said Frank Sinatra already. Favorite Frank Sinatra song is Learning the Blues. I really like that one. Do you? I like that one, but I'm more of a fan of Autumn Falls. How do you know Learning the Blues? No one knows that song. So where's the coolest place you performed? Like, I don't know. I've got, I've, coolest? Coolest. That's a really specific word. Because coolest means like it was cool. Like there's like meaningful and there's cool. I don't know. Okay, cool. Not meaningful. Cool. Cool was probably at this NFT show that I played like two weeks ago. We're not going to get into the whole NFT discussion, but it was an art gallery, a crypto art gallery show in which behind me was an 80 foot screen, 80 feet wide and 15 feet tall is an enormous screen. I watched them build it for 24 hours and I was playing two of my songs in front of this screen with crazy art happening in the back. And my second song I played, there was interactive art that was affected by how much I play the piano and how much I sing. So like based on the levels that was coming out through like how intense I was playing, like the art behind me was affected. It was crazy. That was the coolest show. Coolest. Last one is what's your favorite color? Come on, I thought that was the easy one. <laughs> it's not the easy one because, okay, growing up, turquoise, now neon green. That's all we have for today's podcast. Ari, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is my, like, this might be my favorite podcast experience I've ever had. I had a great time. I had a great time. And, I, and yeah, I had a really good time. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. You can find Ari on Instagram. At Alnev, A-L-N-E-V. Difficult to spell if you don't know English, but A-L-N-E-V. On Spotify, on Apple Music, on everything you've ever heard of. On TikTok, don't go there. It's all embarrassing. On Twitter, don't go there. It's all embarrassing. But like, you can find me. You'll find me. A-L-N-E-V. If you're listening to this podcast, it says it in the title. So you can <laughs> just spell it out. Ari, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.